Well, I have to start off tonight by saying I love maps. Love maps. Love every one of them. Because I want to know where I am. And the map tells me where I am. Now, I know some of you are saying, what? We got GPSs now. Well, our GP, we, we travel all the time. Our GPS has let us down on several occasions. So we always carry the nice, when we're here in the States, we always carry our, our atlas with us. So when GPS fails, we can go to technology that's good and works. I remember one time we were in, uh, I remember one time we were in um, Arkansas and there was a big wreck, one of these real huge wrecks that was going to be literally two hour delay and GPS told us to get off and take this route. And I mean, it must have told everybody the same thing. And I mean, all of a sudden there were, I don't know, hundreds of us on this little tiny country road that dead ended. <laughs> and so, you know, at the front, some of the cars are like, there's nowhere to go. And it was pouring down rain. And so they started turning around little by little. You just had to interrupt. There were semis on that road with us. 53-foot trailers. They couldn't turn around. They were there for the duration. And I remember we finally said, let's just turn around and go back and find another way. Glad we had the atlas that day. But I love maps, and uh, I've been to a lot of cities in the world, huge cities, New York, London, huge cities. And uh, uh, I, I've got a couple of cities uh, that I, I know a little bit, street level. London, I've been to London quite a few times, and I kind of know my way around a little bit of the central London, but the overall city, I don't know diddly. But you know what? Let me get on the London Underground. I can get around on the London Underground and mind the gap. Any of you know what that means? Mind the gap. That means don't fall between that platform and the train. So I'm doing pretty well in London. And I really, I've been to Berlin tons. Berlin, Germany, I've been there over and over and over and spent months there. And that one is really awesome. I mean, that's a nice complicated underground or bond system and it is awesome. I'm okay central Berlin for a few blocks, but the rest of it, you just get on the underground. And I like those, and I, you got this little pocket map of the London Underground, little pocket map that looks like that. Man, you can get anywhere, and it's awesome. I remember one time we were in London, and these people were just looking, and they were just looking at all the spaghetti and the trains, and they didn't know what to do, and finally it was, this guy leaned over and he goes, I don't know, let's just get on a train. <laughs> not, not good, you won't get there that way. You gotta look at the map, figure out where you are, and get it figured out where you want to go. And uh, Becky and I have also got a, we've been lost a few times, right, darling? You remember that day in Prague? Oh, wow. Well, on one of our trips, we did a big circle around all of Germany and the neighboring countries, carrying a life-size wooden cross, preaching open air. And uh, we, we hit Prague. We were like, you know, Prague, and that was before GPS. And we were in a rent car, and Becky had a map of Prague. When you, you know, in Prague, in the Czech language, every street name has about 45 letters. <laughs> so I'm trying to go with the flow of the travel. Well, by the time she could read out a street name, we were two blocks past it. And I mean, I'm not exaggerating. We were lost for probably two hours. 
And then we were in Prague a few days, ministered the gospel, preached open air. And then we went to another big German city called Dresden. And when we went to Dresden, we got more lost. We were lost for three hours in the city of Dresden. And now when we think of Dresden, it's like, oh, don't go there. So you got, you got to have a map. You got to know where you are. How, how many of you like knowing where you are? I like knowing where I am. There's one city in the world, Wiesbaden, Germany. That's where I was a young missionary. I don't need a map in Wiesbaden. I know every nook, every cranny, every back alley. I know that city without a map. I love that city. But wherever I am, I know where I am in that city because I'm so familiar with it. I believe we should be so familiar with the things of God that we know where we are. And even if we don't, hallelujah, we got a map. We have an atlas of all the spiritual matters we could ever need. Amen? Amen. And so tonight, that's what I want to preach on. You are here. So let's just dive into this. You know, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, I don't want to be like a man who runs aimlessly. You know what it means to run aimlessly? Just hither and here, there, here, back here, over here, just running all over the place like a chicken without a head, no direction, just running aimlessly. And in this context, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said that he's talking about a race, a distance race. Can you imagine you're going to run a marathon, 26 miles, and you're running aimlessly, so you just add about 10 or 12? Not only are you not going to win, you're wasting your time, amen? When you get lost, you waste your time. So Paul said he didn't want to run aimlessly. And when it comes to spiritual things, my one life, I got one life on planet Earth. I got one Christian life, and I don't want to run aimlessly. I want to follow the map, follow God's plan. So tonight as we think about the plan of God, uh, that's what we're talking about, knowing where you are. And even in 1 Corinthians, we get such a clue, and I'm, you know, it's not going to come on the screen because I'm not going to read 1 Corinthians 9, but even in the context of Paul talking about the race, <clears throat> let's get the context down, because later on he said, he does all this that I might win as many as possible. Right. In the kingdom of God, that's what God has called us to do, to win as many as possible. To win as many people, that's the context of that chapter. So that's what Paul was saying. I don't want to run around aimlessly. I want to win as many people as I possibly can to Jesus. Let me help you out. Some of you have been saved for decades. Some of you are kind of new to the faith. and uh, You know, some of you are older. Some of you are younger. I help you out here. There's only one great commission. Jesus only gave us one huge job to do. He talked about different spiritual gifts. He talked about different ministry gifts. He talked about different functions. But there's only one great commission. That makes it easy. Which way are we going? That way. So Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's Mark's gospel. Jesus said, he said to make disciples in all nations. That's Matthew's gospel. In Luke, he said that repentance and forgiveness will be preached in my name to all the nations. That's fairly simple, actually. I didn't say it was easy, but it's fairly simple what he's asking us to do, what the church is called to do. There's only one great commission. So I'd like to say this right now. I think a lot of Christians 
I don't know what percentage, but a lot of Christians, they read and study their Bible. They read and study their Bible in such fragmented little pieces that they never quite see the big picture of God's plan. And I think that we should be familiar enough with the whole book that we see his great plan. They don't don't see the big picture. And so they wake up in the morning and they, they have no idea what to do with their life, even within Christianity. They don't understand God has an eternal plan and your everyday life is being lived out right in the middle of that plan. But sometimes we need that big giant arrow, you are here, so we don't get lost or we don't run around aimlessly. I think there's a lot of people who grew up in church and they've lost sight of God's epic plan of redemption. And I mean, it's epic. It's eternal. It's literally eternal. Wow, you could get lost in that, except for the Bible says that God has revealed to us the mystery of God, the plan of God. He's revealed it to us. We have a plan. So on the huge map of eternity tonight, we're looking at the you are here part. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm going to read Ephesians. I'm going to preach tonight. um, I'm just plain old talking about Christians who get up in the morning and don't know what to do with themselves. They haven't got it figured out that God has a great plan for their life. So I'm going to read quite a few scriptures tonight out of the Living Bible and out of the New Living because they just really read very easy and you're not going to miss it. So in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said this, verses 14 and 15. He said, when I think of the wisdom and the scope of his plan, I fall down on my knees and I pray to the Father of all the great family of God, some of them already in heaven and some down here on earth. When Paul Paul grasped, he understood the mystery, the plan of God, and he fell on his knees, staggered by the wisdom of God, that some, some of God's people are already up in heaven. Some of us are still down here on earth. And God's got the whole thing worked out. And Paul got it. He grasped it. He understood it. It wasn't a mystery to him anymore. And it brought him to his knees. And Paul understood this. Now let me see. How shall I say this? Shall I be so bold tonight as to say, little Ken Dornecker? The guy from Burleson, Texas, I understand it too. Oh, that's a big, I'm not bragging, I'm not boasting, I'm not on the level of Paul, but I'll tell you why I think I understand it here in a moment. I understand that the purpose and the plan of God, his great plan of redemption, is to gather a family from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation, and then live with them forever in heaven. That is the overwhelming plan of God. That is the message of God. The Apostle Paul called it the message of reconciliation. God is reconciling, bringing people to himself. He's he's reconciling them back to him. He's bringing them to him. That's the message of reconciliation. 
Paul understood God's eternal plan, and he understood the message. I've been an evangelist now for almost 40 years. I've talked to I don't know how many thousands of people, tens of thousands, I guess, by this point. You know what? Not once, not once have I stood with a lost sinner in front of me and wondered, I wonder what I should say. I know what to say. Not because I'm smart. The Bible tells us what to say. We tell them about God's plan of reconciliation to bring them back to him. Now, I preach on college campuses. I'm leaving next week and going to go to Texas State and Texas A&M and preach in the free speech zones all day. I'm not worried about what am I going to say. I know what to say. I'm going to say what God told us to say in this book. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying God told us what to say. He told us to tell lost sinners how to be brought back to God, how to be reconciled to God. Now, I may start, depending on where I am, if I'm on a mission field uh, or if I'm who knows where and on this planet, and I've been to a lot of countries, and if I'm wherever I am, if I'm in Africa or whether I'm on an intellectual college campus, I may have a hundred places I'm going to start, but I know where I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish with the message of reconciliation and the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want every person I hear to know you are lost. You are separated. You are away from God. You have sinned, but he wants to bring you back to him. He'll forgive you. He'll let you be his child. He's wanting to bring you back to him. It's so simple. That's what, and sometimes I talk to people five minutes. Sometimes I give my waitress a track. Or sometimes I talk to people three hours. That's Becky. But always the same message. Wherever you are, God wants to bring you back to himself. <clears throat> so it's not that complicated, in other words. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.1, I love this verse. I love this verse. 1 Corinthians 4.1. Apollos was his uh, co-worker on, uh, in Corinth. And so Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, so look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Paul said, I understand God's mysteries so much that I can explain it to you. Isn't that cool? Have you ever done that? It's fun. It's fun explaining the mysteries of God to people. And we can do it too. Not that we are on the par of the Apostle Paul, but let's look at Ephesians 3. This is a big part of where I want you to see tonight. Ephesians 3, we're going to go back there. <clears throat> 3 through 5. So this is why I think I understand it. Not because I'm a brainiac. I didn't make really great grades in school, especially in math. Thank goodness the gospel does not involve math. Ephesians 3, 3 through 5, Paul wrote, As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. So Paul wasn't necessarily that smart either. Paul said, God showed me. God revealed it to me. You know what? I could have a billion secrets in my brain that none of you would know. But if I walk up to Becky and say, here's a secret, and I tell her, well, I revealed it, right? And that's what Paul said. God revealed it to me. I know where the dot on the map is because God revealed it to me. His eternal plan is so clear to me because God showed me. 
Now here's why I think I can understand it and why I think you can understand it and why I think you can understand it before this night's over. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. So Paul was saying, I understand it because God told me I wrote it down. And if you read it, you too will understand. It's the mystery of God is not a mystery anymore. And in verse 9 of the same chapter, he says, God wants us to reveal, he wants us to make it plain to all. When you make something plain to somebody, it's not confusing anymore. That's our job, Christians. That's our job, brothers and sisters, to make this mystery of God plain to people. When they walk away from us, they shouldn't be confused anymore. Now, people do. People have all kinds of crazy, confusing ideas about God. But once they talk to us, they should have, ah, you just made that plain to me. And it's not trigonometry or rocket science. It's a matter of the heart, and it's not that complicated. Paul said, as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. The Holy Spirit has revealed it to them, and they wrote it down. That makes for a good quiet time tomorrow. God's plan, his mystery, the plan that's been hidden for ages is right there written down for you. And you too can understand it. You can understand it so much that you can tell somebody else and explain it to them and make it plain to them. Amen? That was weak. <clears throat> Amen? Amen? All right. Be prepared. We got to be like little spiritual Boy Scouts. Be prepared, the Bible says. I understand that it seems huge. It's an eternal plan. That could be overwhelming. I get that part. But you know what? I love this concept. I was not studious growing up. When I was in uh, middle school in particular, I was not that studious. And uh, I, I really didn't have great grades and didn't do that well. But you know what? Once I became a Christian, the Bible says that we are to love God. I didn't like to study in school, okay? I just so happened to be one of those people that can kind of remember everything. So I didn't study. I just remembered what the teacher said. I took the test. I made a B. Good enough for me. <laughs> Ken, do you need to study tonight? No, Mom. Going out to play. I just wasn't that interested. I mean, you can tell I'm kind of, you know, energetic. <laughs> Sitting down and reading a book was not very fun when I was in middle school. But once I became a Christian and Jesus said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, all right. then I understood to study is to love God with your mind. Yes. And I have to say now, I, study is something for me now that is just so awesome. I love it. It's never a drudgery. I never get tired of it. As a matter of fact, even on my days off, I study. 
I like to study. I like to get a, a Christian book or my Bible, go to breakfast. If I got time, it's my day off or I got a little time, I'm going to go get a book and I'm going to study because I'm just so hungry. And I love studying because if you, if you love God, Hebrews, Hebrew people understand that to love God with your mind is to study. So give yourself, prepare yourself by studying the message. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to give an illustration here. I've probably done this before at this church. I do it a lot of places because I just flat believe it. Okay, I got my Bible in my hand here, and I got my finger in Genesis 3. Now, now I got all of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 between my fingers. You see that? Two, two, page, two pages. And Bible pages are skinnier than other books. Two pages. This is how long mankind was sinless. <laughs> and the first two chapters are not about us, they're about the creation. <laughs> two pages of this book is how long it took humankind to get lost. We got lost on page three. That's the truth. We sinned against God. And from that moment on, man's, man's normal disposition, humankind's disposition is like Adam and Eve, hide from God. Oh, here comes God. I don't want everything to do with God. I've got to hide from God. That's what happens in Genesis 3. But i got great news, folks. I've been studying this book all these years now, for 40 years now, and i got it figured out. This much of the Bible is God saying, I don't care that you're lost. I don't care that you sinned. I don't care that you're away from me. This much of the book is God's reconciliation saying, I want you back. That's simple, isn't it? I mean, I really believe that. Now, I'm not saying there's not some stuff in there, but I'm saying that's what it's all about. God bringing people back to himself. That much of the book, that's very exciting for me. And I love it when I go talk to a lost person. I know what to say to them. You're away from God, but God wants to bring you back to him. Right. Now, <clears throat> if you don't know where you are, and spiritually you don't, know, you don't know where you fit in to God's eternal plan, you're lost. I don't mean you're lost in the sense that you're not saved. I mean you just you don't know where you're going. And when you don't know where you're going, that's frustrating. Amen? I think there are a lot of Christians who are frustrated because they don't know where they're going every day when they get up. And the whole thing's frustrating to them. So for some people, it's empty. Or worse, worst of all, they're apathetic. I tell you what, as an evangelist, I will gladly talk to an atheist. I will talk to the most rabid sinner screaming at me. I'm going to be kind to them and nice and tell them about Jesus. I don't mind any of that. I've been laughed at and insulted. And I just, I don't, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. The only thing that bothers me is apathy. I don't like apathy. When people are indifferent. So as a Christian, we can't be apathetic or indifferent. We can't be unconcerned. Or uninterested in the whole thing. Can you imagine if the Dallas Cowboys drafted a player? Drafted him real high in the draft. Drafted him number two. 
And then they come, they do spring, spring training, they do all the practices, and right before the first game, the guy's just sitting on the bench, and the coach says, hey, Stevens, get out there. I'm not that interested. Actually, coach, not that into football, don't like it. Christians, <laughs> if you are a Christian, then you are a follower of Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he's going to make you a fisher of men. There are no exemptions. There's nobody on the team that he didn't already want on the team. <clears throat> I believe we are, I'm totally convinced that we are seeing the first drops of a beautiful uh, in James, it says that he will give us a spring and an autumn harvest. And we know what the harvest is. The Bible says Jesus defined it in John 4. He said the harvest is people brought to eternal life. Amen. Do you want to bring people to eternal life? Right. I believe we are coming into an autumn harvest. Amen. A great harvest of people ready to be brought into the kingdom of God. Yes. Do you want to be a part of that plan? Amen. You don't want to be like the, the son. My, wife's, uh, a, my wife grew up on a farm. And when it's harvest time, the farmer plants the seed and the farmer watches the crop grow. But when it's harvest time, you've got to get the harvest in. Some crops have a very limited amount of time. They are ready. They are ready to be harvested. And you can't mess around for a few months and well, we'll get to it later. They will rot in the field. Or they won't be there, it won't be fit to harvest. You've got to go get the harvest. I think we're coming into just such a, a beautiful time. We're already in a harvest ever since Jesus left, but I believe we're coming into an outpouring of the Holy Spirit Amen. where there's going to be a real harvest. And God wants to prepare all of us, right. his people, for harvest. My, my delicate little wife has even harvested crops. She doesn't look like a farm worker, but she is. <clears throat> She's gathered in a harvest during her lifetime. But Proverbs 10.5 is a very sad scripture. Proverbs 10.5 says, He who gathers crops in the summer is a prudent son. That means a good son, a wise son, a prudent son. But he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. I don't want to be disgraceful. Amen. The King James says... The, the son who sleeps during harvest is ashamed to his father. Oh, God, I don't want to be ashamed to you, Lord. I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to be disinterested. I don't want to be apathetic. I want to be interested in harvest, Father. Amen. Don't want to be a disgraceful son who sleeps during harvest. If you don't understand the basic message, then there's no way you can effectively tell someone else. And you know what, folks? I, I've been telling people around the world the gospel now for 40 years. And the subject matter, some people think I'm really smart that I go on college campuses and talk to atheists. It's just, it's such a limited subject matter. I believe that. You could master it in a month of real study, the actual gospel presentation. Study. You can master how to tell somebody about Jesus. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to know every, you know, every scripture in the whole Bible. 
To tell somebody about Jesus, you just need to know more than they know. And they're lost. And you need to, all you got to tell them is you can be found. And for me, it's really simple. I just tell them about the prodigal son everywhere I go. I know I said that, and you say, oh, we're tired of hearing it. Well, I'm telling you, it works. Because in that prodigal son story is the gospel of reconciliation. And every person I've ever told on planet Earth gets it. Oh, I'm the lost son. And God is the beautiful father running toward me. So simple. But love God with your mind. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, as he always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Just study the basic gospel Come up to Becky and I. We will hook you up with all the material you need to understand the basic gospel. Just be prepared. Be prepared. God's sending us out to harvest. Amen. Amen. Now, when you know where the when you know, when you got a map, or you're familiar with a certain route that you're going on, you know when you're almost home. You ever been, you've been you ever been almost home, brother? Feels good, doesn't it? Feels good when you're almost home. Now, Becky, we, we travel all, everywhere, but when you, you know, you just mow down the states, man. You just don't, oh, there went, oh, there went, oh, Tennessee, boom, gone. You know, depending if you're going that way. You go that way, Tennessee's nothing. Just go through the states. But when you live in Texas, just because you get in Texas, you're not almost home. <laughs> it depends, depends on which side you're coming from. You're coming from the west, you're still a ways from home. But it's always good for Becky and I when we've been traveling, 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 and we, we know the different highways we're coming in on. Woo, we're almost home. I sense I'm almost home. We're almost home. I believe that. Right. Now, for sure, I'm almost home. I'm 62. And as the lifespan goes, I ain't in the first miles anymore. I'm almost home. But I believe that the end of the age is sooner than we could imagine. So let's talk about what it means to be, what, what does it mean? And uh, I'm going to read a scripture that I think a lot of people don't think about maybe as often as they should. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. God expects something from you. He has an expectation of you. You know about Jesus. You know that beautiful, glorious thing. And he expects you to pass it on. You don't want to be ashamed to your father. So let's read 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 12. Now there's a big judgment at the end. Everybody knows that. There's a judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment. And that's where lost unsaved people will stand before God and find out they blew it. And now they're not going to spend eternity in heaven. That's the great white throne judgment. But also at the end of the age, there's another one. There's another judgment, which I think a lot of Christians don't think about. And we will stand before Jesus. It's called the Bema Seat. We will stand before the Bema Seat of Jesus and it says he will judge us for what we have done with the gospel. 
So let's read about what that's going to look like. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we are other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on this foundation must use, may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. So Paul is saying we're building something. God's asked us to build his temple on earth, his kingdom on earth. We are building it. We, me, you, Christians, we are the ones putting in the bricks. We are the ones building this thing. And Paul said that while we're building it, our work on earth, I mean, say 40 years now. So I've had 40 years to build something. And it says when I stand before Jesus, he's going to examine the materials that I've built with. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. Those first three are inflammable. They're precious. They won't, they won't go away. The last three, wood, hay, and straw, will just burn up. And it says he's going he's gonna to judge us to see what we've built our life as Christians. But for, Verse 13. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. Well done, good and faithful servant, the Bible says, he says to that servant. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. Ooh, that's good news, amen. You don't earn your salvation. You don't have to earn your own salvation. But... That tells me this is not the great white throne. This is for believers. They will be saved. But like someone, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. In other words, they're gonna run into heaven as if someone, as if someone just ran out of a fire, a house on fire with nothing. Oh, I pray about this a lot. I pray about that one. When I get up in the morning, Lord, what's the quality of what I'm building with? What's the quality of what I'm doing? How's it going to be on that, that day? I, wanna, I want it to last. I want it to be built with something precious. I can't even fathom what it's going to be like to go into heaven and have nobody with you. You didn't bring one person. Can you imagine in my case, God will say, you had 40 years. You didn't bring one person. You just got in here as someone who ran out of a house on fire. I don't want to be that person. So Romans 13, 11. I like this scripture. It says, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I don't care when you started. You may have got saved only a week ago, but you're closer than when you started. That's right. And some of us have been running a long way. We're a lot closer than when we started. Woo, we're almost home. The race is almost over. And for me at this stage of my life, and I think it doesn't matter, this was my prayer. This was my prayer when I was 18. 
And this is still my prayer. I don't pray it every day, but virtually every day. I pray a verse from Acts. Paul said in Acts 24, Acts 20, 24, and 25, he said, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And every day I say, Lord, I just want to finish my race. I think that's NIV. The King James says that I may finish my race with joy. That's my prayer every day. God, and I mean, I got to tell you, I'm 62. The mile, and I'm high mileage. <laughs> I'm high mileage. And the miles don't come as easy as they used to. But I want to finish my race with joy. I want to complete the task. Oh, but I don't understand the mystery, brother. Oh, the task of telling others about God's mighty grace. Once again, he doesn't leave us to guess. What is the task? The task is to tell others about God's mighty grace, about his gospel, about his love, about his cross, his resurrection, and the beautiful abundant life he will give you and the eternal life in heaven. So I'm done tonight. And I love you guys. And I just, I, wa- I, I just want to stir your heart. Let's get ready for harvest, amen? amen? Let's prepare ourselves. And like Acts chapter 2, when they said, they ran up to Peter and said, what must we do to be saved? Oh, I want to tell you. I'm going to tell you. What must the conviction of the Holy Spirit I'm hoping to see that already next week on these college campuses. What must we do to be saved? I'm so glad you ask. Repent, believe in Jesus, be forgiven, and you can be saved and live with Him for eternity in heaven. When I was a teenager, I'll test some of you here. When I was a teenager, there was a rocker named Eddie Money. Anybody remember? I got, I got two tickets to paradise. Anybody remember that? Two tickets to paradise. Hey, every day that I go out, I got tickets to paradise. Free! Jesus said, whoever's thirsty may come. We can go out to people and say, are you thirsty for God? Are you thirsty for righteousness? He wants to give it to you. Come to Jesus. It's so simple. He will forgive all your sins. And if I haven't said enough If some of this to you was like, "Ah, I still don't know if I have it, just come up to us. We'll tell you some resources that will help you, hey, get the basics down uh, on how to tell somebody about Jesus, how to lead them to Jesus. It's just so not hard. It's just not hard. It's not complicated. It's a very simple subject. And if their heart is really, uh, their heart is ready, man, you can lead people to Jesus like fruit falling off a vine. So let's get ready for harvest. Amen, church? Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Mark. And uh, afterwards, uh, if there are any of you here and you just you want to be prayed for or you're just there's something and you say, God, I just I want to be ready for harvest, brother. I want to be ready. Then I'd be happy to pray for you. I know Pastor Mark and Carmen and a lot of these wonderful prayer partners up here will be happy to pray for you and, and help you to get ready to lead some people to Jesus.